If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ah, uh, hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. Oh, and don't forget, my next show is at the State Library of Victoria on Saturday the 25th of June with undercover cop Keith Banks. I reckon you'll think twice about trusting anybody after listening to Keith. Uh, tickets are through Eventbrite. Thanks. I've learnt this, and I knew it then. A child molester can't be an arsehole. They can't be the boogeyman. You know, they are master, master manipulators. They, he didn't get with my mum because he was attracted to my mum. He got with my mum because she had two daughters that he could do what he wanted. Today comes with another warning. Today's podcast is part two, where we discuss a number of topics yet again in detail, so please consider if it's right for you. We discuss sexual abuse, grooming, drug taking, drug dealing to a point, uh, suicide and abortion, but uh, as I warned last week, it does have a good ending. Uh, Pip became an addict at 42. Hard to imagine, isn't it? And after two years, she then saw the light. But she has been clean for 25 months, a fact of which she is so very proud and so she should be. So last week, we talked about Pip's possible new role with ARC, the Assessment Referral Court, and how she will be a support for others in the same predicament that she was, alone, lost and spiralling out of control. Having that lived experience will give others so much hope because due to ARC, Pip has been clean for 25 months and as she says, she feels like at nearly 50, she's just been born again. And that is not (laughs) in a religious way. Um, 
Yeah, last week we also uh, Pip told us about the abuse by her stepfather, his grooming of her, which started almost immediately that he met her mum and the terminations that she had uh, due to his abuse. She spoke uh, of her dealings with the police and her thoughts on what appears to be a supportive treatment towards the accused, where she as a victim was basically left to navigate life after the court case, while everyone else just moved on, and she certainly didn't. She also told us about how she never wanted her stepfather to go to jail. All she really wanted was just him to stop the abuse. So this week, we discuss the trial of her stepfather, how her honesty in court caused a few red faces, oh my goodness, uh, including my own (laughs) and that of the OPP. I know you'll get a few laughs out of that. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's just so straightforward, so honest. Uh, She also talks about when her stepfather did go to jail, how she kept ringing him until she received a visit from the priest at Pentridge. Uh, her attempts at taking her life, her drug taking, and why Oprah Winfrey is her hero. And I promise that I didn't pay Pip to say what she says in the end about me. I thought long and hard about taking it out, but it's how Pip feels, as uncomfortable as it is to hear her talking about me in the way that she did. Anyway, thanks, and yet again, have another great week. Okay, take care. So I, I still to this day don't understand why the most substantial evidence we had was what they we weren't allowed to talk about. They they dismissed those ones, and I I, I can't fathom that. I can't understand it. I didn't. I didn't want to ruffle anyone's feathers because everyone was being so nice to argue that with Aaron, like, why aren't we using this? I, I just couldn't get that. And I still don't understand that, how that works, you know, like that was it's, our big uh, thing. Yeah, it's, it's about you um, do a bit, it sounds terrible, doesn't it, because it's about somebody's life and the hurt that it has caused somebody, but you do a, a bit of bargaining. So yeah. to say, well, if if you say yes to this, we can we will drop this one. And I But think he said he said didn't say yes to anything. He just denied and lied. He never admitted to one charge. You know, so I could never get that. But like you say, it was the hindsight thing, you know, I know that I was a I was a good victim on the stand, but I also remember Aaron and yourself and Jan saying to me, Aaron said, Pippa, you're good, but you're coming across as a smart ass. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. I was because I found prosecution incredibly hard on the stand because he can't lead you and I didn't understand that. But I found cross-examination, for no better words, a piece of piss. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in because my, you were telling the truth. Yeah, I was in That's my why. element, yeah. And I remember Mr Wolseley would suggest a lot of things and I would suggest to you that you're an idiot was my answer. I remember saying that on numerous occasions. <laughs> I said, well, I suggest you're an idiot. And he'd be, and Aaron's like, oh, my God. I, could, I remember yeah. you and yeah. Jan looking down, shaking your head, oh, going, oh, my oh, God, God, what has she just said? And he'd be yeah. like, and his honour would be there looking at me like, I remember him also saying, is there something wrong, Philippa? And I go, yep, 
And he said, what is it? I said, well, can I just clarify, did Mr. Wolseley just ask me this? And he's suggesting this. And he said, yeah. I said, well, I suggest that Mr. Wolseley's an idiot. And I said, because um, Dilek, I said, my friends, Angle Mirror and Dilek, they're all girls. I said, but Dushko, he's saying that I lost my virginity to Dushko. And he said, yeah. And I said, all right. And I said, and that Dushko's a boy and Anor Amira Dilek are a girl, but he's saying that I slept with Dushko and Anor. I said, well, Anor's a girl. You know, because they, and it was just a name that my mum my and my stepfather in their statements had plucked up that I'd had sex with Dushko and Anor. And mm. I'm like, well, Anor's a girl. And I think you'd have to bring that person in and get evidence, you know, a, a statement from that person. It just snowballed because of his lies, you know. Um. I can understand absolutely why you would call him an idiot. Um, I can't say I I understand exactly why. Yeah. But it, it's actually almost funny because why wouldn't, a young, why wouldn't a young person that really probably had never been in court before, well, you hadn't been no. in court before, um, I suppose you're just being totally honest and whether it's um, acceptable or not, you don't think like that because you just want the you want the court to know the truth. You want them to know what's happened. And if you think he's an idiot, you say he's an idiot. But from a court point of view, you'd nearly die when somebody said you, that. <laughs> I still remember you were exactly like that, and you just put your, you and Jan just looked at each other and put your head down. I could see you shaking. I'm thinking, oh my god. I'm like, oh no! And then Aaron pulled me aside and said, "Pip, you're coming across as smart as you're doing brilliant. You're you're killing him. You are yeah. wiping the floor with him, but you're coming across yeah. as smart as. I need you to rein it in a bit." And I go, "Well, what am I supposed to say?" I said, "He is an idiot." I said, "The guy's a yeah. dickhead," and he's yeah. like, "Don't go telling him that for God's sake." And he had me in his chambers, and he's going, "You know, because we're in recess," and he. He yeah. pretty much dragged me in that chambers like I was the naughty schoolgirl, you know. He's like, and I'm like, sorry, I didn't mean to come across as a smart ass. I said, but I said, yeah, you know, yeah. he's a goose. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And he went, I know. He said, just, he goes, but keep going. He said, because you're kicking his ass. And I'm, goes, and I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here just shocked, but wow, yeah. just be nice about it. And I went, okay, I can do that. So then I went back yeah. to little, little timid Pip and I'm like, I wanted to scream at him sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God, I can hear Aaron going, Pip, you're coming across as smart ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, yeah, so it went to trial and your stepfather never, ever admitted it. it he fought it all the way. Yep. And I think you told me a story about when the jury came back. Yes. Tell, tell the listeners about that. Okay, so... We had done a really long trial because we'd already lost one jury um, and we had to start again. And then when the jury went to deliberate, it was a Friday afternoon and yourself and Aaron and Jan said to me, right, we're not going to get an answer today. The jury are going to be locked away for the weekend. It was about 4 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and we'll be back on Monday hopefully. But we'll get a phone call and once the jury's done it, we'll come back on Monday and hopefully they'll have an answer for us Monday. And you were all very strict on me that weekend. You said, I want you to go home and forget about this. For the first time, just forget about it. Go and have 
fun. I didn't even know what fun was. I was like a robot. And I went, yep, all right. And I went home and it was fine. And then on the Monday morning, I used to catch the train into the city with my grandparents. And I said to my grandparents, I don't want to come with you on the train. I want to go in my car. I want to be able to smoke. And I'm going to come up with, I came with my brother, his Mm -hmm. then girlfriend and one of my brother's friends. And we were Mm -hmm. walking up Latrobe Street in Melbourne. And when you get to the old county court, there's quite a hill and there's all brickwork. And we were walking up there and all these people come running at me, at us. And we thought, oh, what's going on? And we've turned around looking for, because we were quite used, we'd been there so many days. Mm-hmm. Um, we were quite used to the the media, the cameras, when there was something that had been in the news. So we didn't think they were there for us or they were running at us. We thought that they were running to someone else. We're like, oh, who is it? What's happening over at the magistrate's court? Um, and at that time in the morning when everyone's arriving, the the criminals are arriving to the courts too in the buses. So it, they'd be going to that. Well, they cut, they were right in our faces going, how do you feel about the verdict? I said, what? And I'm looking at my brother and my brother goes, what are you talking about? Like, are you talking to us? And they're like, well, he's been found guilty. How do you feel? I said, what? No, you've got the wrong people. Like, we're here to get the verdict. And they went, no, no, he was found guilty on Friday. And you were coming into the building with Jan and I've walked in and you've gone, come upstairs and Aaron was with you and then you pulled me aside and you said, look, the jury had come back on Friday night and it was quite late. You'd all left and he's got the phone call and someone amongst it, I don't know who it was, had decided let's not ring Pip and get her back, let her have the weekend off. And that's what they did. So when I got there on Monday, his verdict had been read. Now he had lots, I think he said there was like 300 minor charges and 19 majors. Um, that There was lots and lots of majors, but only 19 ever went to court that he was tried for. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like 300 majors that he's got and over a thousand minors, but only nineteen majors went to court, and then we had a lot, a lot of minor charges, but they never went to court. So there was nineteen charges that he was being tried for. And when we got in on Monday, I was closest. I, I was really close to everybody, but I had that rapport with you, and you were my safest person. Like you were the one that I trusted the most. So you said to me, Pip. He's, we won and he's been found guilty. And you explained to me that the first 12 charges actually came back not guilty. And then you said to me by charge nine, you were just so deflated in yourself, like he was just getting not guilty, not guilty. You said by nine, I thought, oh, my God, he's going to get away with this. And it wasn't until charge 12 that you heard the word guilty and you said to me and you looked up and you were just like, thank God. So from 12 to 19, he was found guilty. And you said, Pip, it was the most worst feeling in the world. We thought he was going to get off, but he hasn't. And I, I was grateful he hadn't got off 
people I was angry. I still to this day don't know. It was only when I spoke to you and you said in the thing that I never heard the the magistrate's comments. I still don't know what they are. You know, I didn't even know he made comments until you said that the other day to me. Um, mm. I didn't know he made comments. I knew that I'd done a victim impact statement. I, you know, um, and that was probably a very hard part of it for me. And I remember I wrote it in 20 minutes on the train on the way in because I just didn't want to face that. I didn't want to fill in an impact statement. Um, I didn't understand it. If I could do it in back now, I'd have a lot more to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I reckon you might too, just quietly. <laughs> yeah. And I also didn't want him to go to jail. I wasn't – I didn't take him to court to put him in jail. Um, I remember at the sentencing – the only person that was in that room that was crying was me. I felt so guilty. I, I, um, I rang the prison every day for a month when he went to jail mm-hmm. to check on him, to make sure he was warm, to make sure he had enough food. Please describe Pentridge to me because by that stage he went to Pentridge first before he went to Ararat. Then he went back to Pentridge. Um, and I remember there was a FOC, it's the father of the chapel, the priest there, would, he rang me back one day and he said, I'm really concerned about you. Um, and he wanted my address and he came out to my house and he spl- explained to me that you're the victim. It's not your job to look after him and you've got to let go and not worry about him. And... It, it freed me a little bit, but the the guilt that I had put a person in jail when that wasn't what my plan was ever. All I ever wanted was, and I remember saying it to you, I, I just wanted him to stop doing what he was doing to me, to tell my mum the truth because he told my mum all these lies, mm-hmm. to be able to have my own house and have dinner parties and have friends over. And for him to never, ever be able to do that to anyone else again. Um, and I wanted my story heard I, because I knew I wasn't his first victim and I was going to make sure that he never, ever got to do that to anyone again. So, so when you went, when, when you, when he went to jail. Yep. How did you feel about him? You said you didn't want him to go to jail and that, but did you, like this is a bizarre question, but like did you love him or yes. did you? Yeah, yeah. But that's what the grooming had done, isn't it? I still, um, so my mum recently died and my best friend of the last 20-odd years, she, um, when I got on drugs and things for that two years, she was like my mum was nurturing our friendship. So my mum opened up a lot to my best friend and she said to her, um, I don't understand how Pip doesn't hate him because my mum despised him. I've only learnt that recently in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, she said to me, you know, your mum still can't understand how you don't hate him. And she said because she hated him with every bone in her body in the end. And no matter what I ever did wrong, she said, your mum was always your best support. You could say no wrong by what, by what you do. 
you know, she wouldn't have anyone else say it. She was disappointed in choice, but she wasn't disappointed in me. She was more worried and concerned because um, that wasn't Pip. You know, I'd always been so obliging and, you know, he, she said, your mum couldn't get how you didn't hate him. And I said that my son's father and I, when we were together, we were together for 17 years and he had the same problem. He used to say to me all the time, how can you say that you love him? And I said, I love one side of him. I don't, I I don't like what he did to me. And hate is a very, very, very strong word. Mm -hmm. Um, To truly hate someone is absolutely, I've only just learnt what hate is in the last eight or nine weeks. And um, I actually remember the conversation with a few weeks ago. I said, well, it scared me because I've never hated. And I was terrified. because I never hated I, I didn't like what he did to me. I loved him. He was a, a really kind, nice person. He taught me, my stepfather taught me my love of books. He taught me how to read a watch. I'd been to 17 primary schools, so I missed a lot of things. Um, Why did you go to so many primary schools? My mum had a lot of issues, moved around a lot. I moved away from my father a lot. My dad was a drug dealer, womanizer. I'm just learning to to now. Mum had um, undiagnosed mental health. She'd gone her whole life through it. I'm only just learning that now due to her own abuse as a child, and she always told me she wasn't abused. Um, So she was actually part of the Royal Commission. So in the last few years in um, institutionalised, child abuse. So I'm only just learning all of this now. So I, my stepfather had taught me a lot of good things. You know, he moulded me into the person I was. He, he controlled me, yes, but he also taught me the morals I've got. I wouldn't be the mother I am without him. Most of my friends where I grew up, they were all pregnant at 15, 16. By 20, they all had kids, grew up in housing commission, were in that circle. I wasn't allowed to do that. I had to have a career. I had. To, I knew you had to work. I knew that I, I was the only one that ever had a licence and a car and went to uni. Um... And where all my and, friends and are, you, and are you saying? Are you saying that your stepfather was um, uh, the reason for that? That you had the car that you had. You Him and my mum. Went- yeah, they were very strict on me, and they were very protective of me. And of course, he was protective because that was part of his grooming too. But he also he had good points. He was a nice person. I've learnt this, and I knew it then. A child molester can't be an arsehole. They can't be the boogeyman. That's right. You know, they are master, master manipulators. They, he didn't get with my mum because he was attracted to my mum. He got with my mum because she had two daughters that he could do what yeah. he wanted. And he told yeah. my mum that after he went to jail. He actually laughed in her face when I was 26 so he went to jail when I was 21 
And he told my mum that. No, he told my mum that when I was 23, 22, 22, sorry. And my mum told me about it when she was tw- when I was 26. So, you know, he told my mum, I never got with you, with you, for you. I got with you because you had what I wanted. And that was young girls. Did, did, do you feel used by your stepfather? Like you talk about how you... Um, I was nothing what? to him but a piece of meat and what he wanted, but he couldn't publicly but does, but does, get it. But, but doesn't that make you feel used and angry or...? Uh, I don't feel angry. Um, my motto's always been he had 11 years of my life, be effed if he gets one more minute. Hmm. You know, I didn't escape to be controlled by him anymore. I I just wanted to live a normal life. I don't know what normal is because, Jesus Christ, I haven't done that well. Um, I, <laughs> you know, but I knew that I wanted to break that cycle. It was my job to break that cycle. It was my job to, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Um, I I was angry for a very long time. Till I was 26 years old, I was really, really angry at I wanted five minutes with him, you know. That's all I wanted in my victim impact statement, just five minutes to ask him why. And I couldn't get that because, again, the perpetrator has all the rights. It was up to him if I got to visit him in jail um, and he never allowed that. And I was really angry at the world. So, you know, I probably should have gone to jail a long time earlier because I wasn't a normal person. I, if you made me angry in the end, I'd start fighting back and I'd get into fights or I'd hurt people. I'd only have to picture him because I was so angry that he didn't give me my five minutes. Thank God he didn't give me my five minutes because I learnt by my biggest mentor, I think, Oprah Winfrey, she was doing one of her shows and I listened, I was on in the background, I was doing housework and it was a sexual abuse show, show and she said it was one of her first aha moments and she said it doesn't matter why. And I stopped what I was doing and I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. And I looked at the TV and I'm like, oh, my God, she's right. It didn't matter why. And that's probably the biggest take I took from that, that here I was for so many years just wanting that five minutes to ask him why. And that's what I was Mm -hmm. angriest at it. I didn't get that and the courts didn't give that to me. You know, they just put him in jail and I wanted my five minutes and I'd asked for that. But it didn't matter what he said. Why is never going to – he could say because I was cute, I was gorgeous, because he was sick, because he was this. It doesn't take it away. And there's no point me being angry at him. Um, that doesn't fix it. You know, I can see the good and bad in every single human being. And it doesn't matter what a person's done. There's still a person, you know, and I still fight with my family about that with some of my drug associates. They'll go, oh, but they're just junkies. Yeah, no, they're not. And I, I, I fight with my child about that at the moment, you know. He's 19 and very intolerant because of what I've done in the last few years. Mm. Um, and I say to him, but there's still a good person in there. And I say, lose your attitude because I don't like it because I've not ever taught him that. But I can also see his side, why he he thinks this. 
you know, Pe- because- as you say, pe- people are junkies. They're junkies for a reason. People are alcoholics for a reason. Like there's always a reason why somebody is the way they Absolutely. are. Who yeah. on earth becomes a drug addict at 42 years of age? Uh, me. <laughs> you know, I was 42 when I touched drugs and I hated drugs. I'd already done the 12-step program in Analon trying to analyse my family, how my brother was a drug addict, my father was, my ex-partner was. You know, I despised them. They ruined my life and I'd never touched them. I think I dabbled in them when I was about 21, 22. Every now and again I'd had a little bit of speed or something as a, at a party, but I'd never had a drug habit. I didn't even drink alcohol. You were lucky if I have four alcoholic drinks a year. So, Pip, what made you turn to drugs at 42? I bought my house. Um, I'd always lived with my ex-partner and his dad or my mum. I'd never lived on my own. So when my ex-partner and I split eight years ago, my son and I were on our our own for eight months, but then I ended up moving back in with my my ex-father-in-law who was – in his early 80s, he'd had a heart attack. So I went home to look after him and my mum actually moved in to help me look after him because he got the onset of dementia. So she was with us for three years and then it was the doctor said, it's too far, the dementia's gone, he's got to go into care. Mum moved back to the city and I brought these two houses, thinking this is great. Here's my 14-year-old son, he's got his own house, I've got mine. And I just walked around the house for a couple of days thinking, okay, now what do I do? I'd never lived on my own. I'd never I, – yeah, I'm 46 years age, of age, but I'm still in some ways like a 16-year-old girl in the sense of I've never been to a wedding. I've never been to an overnight sleepover at friends' houses. I've never been to a birthday party. I've never done a, an 18th, the 21st, anything. Um, so everything's new to me still. Um, so I got into this house and then I met one wrong person who I suspected was on drugs and him and I had a chemistry and he was a lot younger than me. He was 10 years younger than me and I'd already been played by my ex. So I knew, you know, I said, have you ever tried ice? And what him and I had in common was that we both had exes that were on ice and had left us and were hopeless. Um, That's what I thought anyway. Well, he didn't have an ex. And I suspected and I said, have you ever done it? He goes, oh, many, many years ago. I went, all right, eh? Well, I thought ice was a new drug. I didn't think it had been around as long as it has. And Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast 
and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I said, okay. I said, well, if I... And I kept testing, and I, I still suspected he was on it. And I said, if I said to you, go get some and teach me how to do it, because I was still heartbroken at the sense of the family unit that I had created with the person I had created with had left me for drugs and another woman. And it wasn't that he left me. It was that he'd left his son. How could that drug have such a hold on him? Because the relationship he had with his son He's a brilliant father. I cannot fault him as a dad. Um, I couldn't understand how he picked drugs and her. And everyone kept saying to me, it's not her, it's the drugs. How did that drug have such a hold on him? And I'd gone to Analon. I'd tried to dissect it for four years. So now I've got this person who I'm really attracted to and I suspect he's on it. Or, you know, and I said, well, if I said get some, would you show me how to do it? How can it have such a hold on you? And I'm pretty strong-minded, won't hold me. Mm. Um, and he went, no way. And I thought, there you go, you just passed that test. 20 minutes later, it was in my house, it was here. And I wasn't addicted to ice. Ice was not my problem. GHB was my problem. Um, I got very, very addicted to that. But what I was addicted to, and someone said to me once, I called someone manipulative, and it was my best friend's girlfriend, and I said to her, but you're just manipulative. And the, another person in the room said to me, he said, um, so are you? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, my sister's manipulative. I said, but I'm not manipulative. I'm the most least manipulative person you'll ever meet. Like if I want something, I'll tell you. If I've done something, I'll tell you. I don't manipulate anyone. And he said, have a think about it, Pip. And I thought about it. 
and I come back to him a day or so later and I went, oh, my God, you were right. And he went, what? I said, I am the most manipulated person you've ever known. And he said, what? And I said, as much as the people I was associating with used me and manipulated me, I was manipulating them. You know, the drug addicts that were in my life, that's something I said, they don't leave. I wasn't alone. You know, um, I was controlling them because I had money. I was a single mum with a lot of money who paid for all the drugs because they used my kindness against me. They just saw an opportunity. Pip, Pip, I don't get it. You've got such a, um, again, we don't like the word hatred, but you despise drugs. Yep. Yet at 42, yep. you, you are encouraging the, the guy that you mm-hmm. um, hooked up with to I was, try drugs. I, I don't get that. Because I was trying to understand why still four years later, why had my son's father chosen that? What could be such a hold with this drug that he would give up his world? I couldn't get so it. So were you sort of testing yourself? Oh, Is God, that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and then they didn't go away. I was never alone. Even when him and I, this guy and I split and he ran off with all my money and that one of his mates came over and they just replaced each other. There was someone here 24-7 and with my mental health because I have my biggest diagnosis is borderline personality disorder and now that I understand borderline personality disorder, it all makes sense. So borderline personality disorder is a fear of being alone a fear of being abandoned, a fear of not being needed. Um, so it all makes sense to me now why I manipulated that whole situation that I had people around me 24-7, but what I was doing was ostracising myself even more from my real family and friends. But don't get me wrong, I've met some of the most extraordinary people through my drug habit who in the last two years with my mum getting as incredibly ill as she was and then passing away to now an inquest of neglect, do you know what I mean, that they've been my backbone. You know, my best friend, I've never known a friendship like him and I have got. Um, There's nothing sexual. It never has been. I did pervert him once because he's very easy on the eye in the chest department. Um, I tried to put his shirt on that, you know, it was a safer option. Um, <laughs> you know, he got me from a, a point where I attempted suicide. I hated myself. I hated the world for the first time. I just, I didn't hate myself because I've, ne- I've, I've only just sort of figured out what hate is a few weeks ago and I didn't feel that, but I tried to hang myself. And um, Was this when you were drug affected? Yep. Okay. And I manipulated that too. I waited till I got him to a blowout stage. Him and his girlfriend had blown out in the back house and I did it when I knew that he couldn't find me and he couldn't catch me. But my ex-partner had been on the phone and he thought something wasn't right and he called for help. So the police actually came and just as I jumped and they 
I saw the spotlight and I, I got away. I got out of the, the noose and ran inside to protect my friend. I went, the cops are here, quick, and I ran in a laundry. And I knew three of the police officers that came and they there was four that come and they tried getting me out of that room and it wasn't until my best friend turned around and he came out, they got him up and they said, you know, get out here and he looked at me and I was, I didn't want to go to the hospital even though I knew I had to because you get sanctioned 391 when you do a suicide attempt and I've had many of them. Um, and I kept looking at my best friend saying to him, I don't want to go and he he looked at me and he said, mate, what are you doing? And he, he gave me such a hug that I'd never had in my whole life. And he um he said to me, promise me that you will never, ever do this again, like in any form. And I looked at him and that's one thing I won't do, I won't break a promise. <laughs> and he said to me, I said, I promise. And he looked at the cops and he said, do you have to take it? And they said, yeah, mate, we've got to take her. He said, but she'll be home soon. I said, I'll be home in a couple of hours. It's all right. And to see the hurt that I had caused him, even though I'd done it a year earlier and done it pretty damn good, like I actually died three times, they had to bring me back. I'd overdosed myself on GHB. I'd never used it before and I took 24 mils all at once. Um, that hug and that kindness and the love that he showed me was enough for me to go, I'd never do that again. I need to change my shit. And then a couple of weeks later, we all got locked up. We got raided and he went to jail. And the last thing he said to me was, make sure you eat, look after yourself and look after the girls. Um, he said, and get your shit together. And I looked at him when they put him in the divvy van and I promised him I would. And that's when I got clean with the ARC program. That took me to go to jail mm -hmm. and go on the ARC program and that promise that I'd made him. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, in the last 11 weeks since mum died, I've there's been points where I just wanted to die and that scared the shit out of me because I was so angry and so hateful a few weeks ago that I went to him shaking and I said, Oh, and he said, what? And I said, I wish I never made you that promise right now. And I said, but I won't go against it. I said, I won't, I won't break. And he said, are you all right? Do you want to stay here tonight? I said, no, I'm going to go home. And I'm okay on my own now. Like, I'm okay. And I know that. But, you know, the, the so-called addicts and junkies, they've been phenomenal every day. They, in the last two years, they've been amazing like they'll say to me all the time you're so strong and like we all look up to you and I'm like I look at them as strong because some of these people they've all started drugs at like some of these girls for example they were 13 and 14 having babies they're now in their early late 30s mm -hmm. they've couch hopped that whole time they've had an addiction they don't have their kids DHS have got them they've got abusive boyfriends man I wouldn't have survived 20 minutes of it I reckon but then I think, oh, well, I survived my life. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I don't know how. Uh, talking about going back to when you you said you'd had numerous attempts at ending your life, mm -hmm. were you trying to escape from something? What 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 was it that you you? I never wanted to die. Was making you I actually not. never wanted to die. 
it was a scream for help. I wanted someone to notice. Oh, okay. I wanted someone to. I wanted someone to do what my best mate did, you know, and I wanted someone to say it was going to be okay, and I wasn't alone. And I had that person, and he is that person to me. He is, you know, that person who for the first time in my life saw the real me and loved me because of it, faults and all. And he knew every fault, you know. um, He took charges for me. We both got charged, but he was was willing to go and he's done jail time for me. You know, um, and I couldn't understand that. I'm like, no, that's my charge. He didn't do that. I did it. You know, um, and we didn't know until we both got out. We were both charged with it. But here was this person when we instantly met, we just had a trust in each other that I'd never had with someone. And I can tell him anything and he's got my back and I've got his. Um and to have that, that's what I was doing. Every time I was trying to hurt myself, it wasn't that I wanted to die. I wanted someone to notice that I wasn't okay, that the front that I was putting on being this so-called perfect mum and going to work and doing everyone everything that everyone has always expected me to do my whole life, that there's still someone in there that wasn't okay. Um, and I think that's another thing with the judicial system. You... You go to trial, you do all of that, and then you leave and no one ever follows up with the victim. No one. That's right. Yep. You just go away and no one even knows what happened to that person. Where the perpetrator, they get all this support. They go to jail Mm. and they've got all these Mm. people around them Mm. and they're protected. I was thrown out to what I call the wolves of the world because I had no frigging concept I've had to even use money. I had no idea. And here I was out there going, all right, now where do I live? What do I do? How do I deal but, with this? But, but you know, you're right. And, and I don't know what we do to um, help that because the minute that, um, you know, the court case is finished and let's say I go back to work and I've got another investigation. Well, I, you know, I, I probably would. Absolutely. You had heaps. <laughs> oh, that's right. And so we. You went to the rape squad. That's right. So we just go on. You know, every day there's always something. But you're right. It is almost like you get thrown to the wolves. Well, we've done our part and off you go. Um, I, c- can we go back to the relationship with your mum? Yep. You, you said that initially your mum wasn't supportive, was she? God, no. Um, no. And wh- when did she turn, what turned her around and when did she turn around? Okay, so when I ran away, three days later, my mu- I rang my mum that day and I waited and waited to ring her to say, I'm not coming home, I can't do it anymore, mum. And um, three days after that, she said, can I have a phone number for where you are? And I was only in the next suburb. and. How old were you at this stage? 20. It was, I ran away 10 days before my 20th birthday, the 9th of May, 1995. Okay, yep. And she rang me on the 12th of May and she said, so she said to me that she needed to ask me a question that my stepfather and her had had a talk the night before. And I said, oh, yeah. And she said, my mum 
in her eyes, I was a 20-year-old virgin. I'd never had a boyfriend. I'd never done anything. I was the perfect daughter. And she said that my stepfather had told her that I wasn't a virgin. I said, what? What are you talking about? And she said, well, he's told me that you're not a virgin and you've actually had three abortions. What the hell was going on there? And I said, what are you talking about, Mum? And I said, he's full of shit. And she said, well, he's got proof because he told me that he paid for them all and he signed all the authorities for them because you you were under 18. I said, well, I wasn't under 18 for all of them. I said, no, how about you go back and you ask him when he gets home tonight for the truth? And she said, what? She said, well, you tell me the truth. And I said, okay. I said, I've actually had four abortions. I said, and he didn't just pay for them because he was trying to be my friend. He was already my friend, mum. And I said, um, he paid for them because they were his babies. And she said, what? And she said, what are you saying, Pip? And I said that he was the father of those babies. And I didn't have three, I had four. And she said, are you telling me that your stepfather had sex with you? I said, he didn't have sex with me, Mum, he molested me. And she said, right, if that's the truth, and I know this sentence so, so well, but two, two sentences I'll never forget, this is one of them. If that is the truth, you need to hang up the phone for me right now. You need to ring the police. You need to have him charged. And I don't have a daughter till the day he's found guilty in a court of law. And she hung up the phone and she never spoke to me again. She didn't speak to me for over two and a half years. And so you went to court. Did your mum, did your mum support your stepfather at court? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Oh, really? Yeah, so did every person that you had to get statements from to clarify my statements, they got them to turn around. How do, how do you feel about your stepfather now? I feel nothing. He's not, you know, I used to say that one side of me loves him, one side of him doesn't like what he did to me. Um, and I, I, I used to, I never missed him, never ever once did I miss him. Um, but by feeling nothing, if I feel anything for him, that means he won. That means that he's still in my life. I was wondering if you could just, um, share with us, you had a lovely relationship <laughs> with um, Jan and Aaron from the OPP. Jan has uh, unfortunately passed away. She passed away quite a, a while ago. Yeah. But but you had a very special relationship with her, but also Aaron. And Aaron came to your rescue one day, didn't he, when you were in the, the, the clink? Yeah. <laughs> I, I rang Aaron's office and I didn't even know if he'd still be working. I think he's retired now. Um, he, cause he was old, he wasn't a young man and I rang his office. I Googled him and I found him and said I was in trouble, you know, that I created a drug world and I wasn't just a drug addict. I was drug dealing. I was way out of control. Um, but I was also very good at what I did in the sense of not, I, I escaped jail by the skin of my teeth 
because of Aaron. Um, he came in and went, no, he got barristers. He sent people down. He didn't charge me. He was like, no. I remember Aaron saying to me in his chambers one day, why didn't you, about my stepfather, he said to me in his chambers, why didn't you sh- shoot this guy and I'd be getting you acquitted of murder? Because Aaron wasn't a P- DBP lawyer. He was pretty good at what he did and he was very, very sought after. He hadn't done a prosecution case in 22 years till he took mine on. Mm-hmm. And Jan was so excited about that. I remember that, that. yeah. Yeah, that. because you rang, Jan had rang me on the Friday and she said, we were going to court on August 5th and she said, for trial, and she said, I don't think we're going to get to trial. And we'd waited a long time between the committal and the trial. And she means around the Friday afternoon, she said, we haven't got a lawyer, Friday morning, she said, we haven't got a lawyer good enough to win. And she went to lunch and Aaron walked up to her and said, I want that case. And she went, we can't afford you. <laughs> and he went, I'll do it for free. But he wanted to do that. And we were so lucky, you told me, both of you said, to have Aaron and he was a little Jewish man who was just brilliant. Yeah, he was. He was tiny yeah, little man. Yeah, yeah, he was. And he is. And he, you're right. Just a lovely, lovely man. Really funny. He I was funny. And I remember yeah, yeah. when I was 24, 25, I was working at Melbourne Kosher Butcher in Inkerman Street, St Kilda, and he walked Aaron. I'm like, Aaron? <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing here? And I, yeah. we were jabbering away. I said, you've got to go. It's going to be like 1 o'clock. You've got to be home. Get the meat home. Your wife's going to kill you. <laughs> so he'd come in every Friday and pick up his order, you know, and it was Aaron who actually sat me down and told me that Jan was quite ill and then she passed, you know, um, yeah. and she yeah. was very young. She would have been in her 50s when she passed. She yeah, wasn't. she would have been very early 50s. And so she was a little lost. lady too because you towered over Aaron and Jan in court. You were yeah. tall and had your big briefcase thing and they were both Oh, little. I was so very important, Pip. You were. So very important. <laughs> uh, listen, listen um, we'd better, we better um, finish this off. But yes. Oh, I feel like we could talk forever, Pip. I, oh, that's, sorry, one more question. Yes. So are you clean now? Oh, God, yeah, I've been clean 25 months. Okay, right. Well, congratulations. I was only on drugs two years. Oh, okay, right. Because it sounds um, like you've, you know, you've seen the light, I suppose, and um, I I just can't imagine, I can't imagine what you've gone through, you know. I wasn't even seeing the light. I believe I needed to go through the drugs. I needed to do that to find me. I needed to do that. And if I hadn't got onto the drugs and I hadn't gone to jail, I wouldn't have got the ARC program and got Chloe, who is the best, who found the therapist I've got. And, you know, when I got with my therapist, Sally, I have seen so many therapists. Like when we went through the trial, you were sending me, the, the judge said, you know, I was going to Casa and... I was going to um, another therapy place every night after court to try and debrief me and just it just wasn't working. Um, it took me 26 years to find Sally and now I'm she's like a mentor. I'm working with her. She wants to do things with you and we want to put programs in schools to prevent 
and I, there's so much I want to do and everything that I've wanted to do since we went to court is coming together now. Like I want to be able to teach young girls what grooming is. I want to be able to teach the world what grooming is. It's not just young girls and young kids. You need to teach women and and men because, you know, kids, but males can be sexually abused too. So everyone needs to know what grooming is and yeah. what to look out for when you get a new partner. You know, um, how do, how do I identify what is grooming? You can be groomed in a relationship. I've done it so many times. Like I have pushed away decent men in my life because if you find an arsehole, I'll be with it <laughs> because it's what I know. <laughs> I oh, I understand you. an ass. I understand to be abused. I don't understand kindness. And like right now, I've just started seeing someone that I've known for six years who liked me back then, and I thought he was too nice. Like, no, he's. I'm never going to be good enough for him. Um, and even when I got on drugs, he was the one person that I did ring once, and I said, I've got to go to court. I had no money. I had no drugs. I had no cigarettes. Me without cigarettes, I'm going to murder someone. Um, and I said, can you come over? I just rang him out of the blue and said, can you come over and drive me to court? And he did. It was his day off. He come and got me. I sat there and I smoked crack in front of him because I wanted him to yell at me. I wanted him to fix it. That was my way, but without directly asking for help or, t- or admitting I had a problem. Then I had a plunge. We just did not get to court. Um, and he got me in the car and he said, come on, I'll take you up to the shop and get you some smokes. And, that. and he did that and he gave me money and he said to me in the car, he didn't yell. And we spoke about this just the other night. I said, why didn't you yell at me? He said, there was no point. Do you know who you are? Like, you wouldn't listen. But he did tell me, I can't watch you do this to yourself because it's not you. You're better than this. And I could see the hurt in his eyes and the disappointment in his eyes. And I was just like, okay. So I, I retracted because I didn't let anybody from my, what I called my real life. Well, it wasn't my real life. My real life was what I was living at that moment. That's my real life. So every part of it's real, you know, and I wanted him to fix it, but he couldn't. And then when I did get clean at the start, I didn't go near him. I, I started dropping in and seeing him at work um, and then I showed up at his – I rang him when my mum passed away and he was in Thailand and then I went past his house and he said, I didn't feel I had that right and I'm still at that point where a lot of my old friends prior to drugs will say to me, for God's sake, come and, come and have a coffee, this and that. I still don't feel that. I know that they'll all welcome me with open arms and they're just happy that I made it through and I'm safe and I'm healthy. But I feel like I pushed them away and I retracted. So what right have I got to walk back in and just go, oh, pick up where we left off? But I know I can and I'm slowly allowing myself to do that. So I'm finding, I'm still finding me. I, I don't know who I am. Yes. Yeah, so, all right then, Pip. Well, we're done. Look. We are. Look, thank you so much. I um, no, thank I you, Narelle. Thank you. I can't thank I can't, you enough. Well, I can't thank you enough for contacting me, and um, I suppose really it helps me realise how I've helped people that I'd completely fo- forgotten about. 
so it's it's a nice reminder. You know, I don't that's the sort think, of thing I miss. <laughs> I don't think you realise it's not. It, yes, it was your job, but you went above and beyond your job. Your kindness, your compassion, your honesty, your brutal honesty. I remember when you came to my work, <laughs> and I'd recalled something in a statement, and that's you had to investigate you explained how it works like you got my statements and you dissect them and you've got to find you've got to find evidence and proof and I said I'd watched a tv show so you explained to me that you you know we contact channel nine and we find out was that tv show on on that particular time slot because that is what I'd said and I was signing the medical things you know um you took the time to not just go, well, there's a statement, and you, you explained every step of the process so I knew what was to, to expect. Mm. Um, and for that I can't thank you. You were you were kind. You were you just went above and beyond and then you explained to me after the court case that you were actually leaving Broadmeadows because we you got promoted to the rape squad then and yeah. that was your last case as, as Broadmeadows now because you were off. You had to tie up loose ends and things, but you were off doing that. And I was just like, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't remember that. I remember that because there's only me. Do you know what I mean? So it's easier. That's right. It's easier for me to remember because you were all so big and significant. Where for you, like you said, you have you know 30 other cases all going at once. You know, might have 50, I don't know how many years have, but you were busy. There was a lot oh, of things, yeah. Yeah, you know. A lot it was yes. a very busy period. So, you know, on, on behalf of myself and probably every other person that you've touched, <laughs> I've got to say a huge thank you. Uh, that, I miss that. That's one of the things I miss. I don't miss, well, no, I do miss a lot. But anyway, look, uh, the Mutual Admiration Society here. Um, <laughs> lovely to chat with you, Pip. Lovely uh, to talk thank, to you. Thank you again and... Um, Good luck with everything. Thank you. And, in, and uh, hopefully your new position with ARC. Anyway, good luck, Pip. Right. See ya. Bye. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>